Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. Welcome to this week's InScope, the Healthcare Security Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Murray, and this week I'm incredibly excited to have two illustrious guests. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and frankly, anybody who's been around cybersecurity and healthcare for a while already know who these guys are. Christian DeMath, Jeff Tully from the CyberMed Summit, and every, a bunch of other things, but maybe you guys want to introduce yourself. Christian, you're on the top of my screen, so maybe you should go first. Thanks, Mike, for having us on today. My name is Christian DeMath. I am. Uh, I wear many hats. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but I feel like it's true in this situation. I am first and foremost a practicing ER doc, so my day-to-day is I'm in the thick of it in the emergency department working as an ER doc, but I also work and do some research. So I'm an assistant professor of emergency medicine, biomedical informatics, and computer science here at UC San Diego. And I also have an operational cybersecurity role as medical director of cybersecurity for UC San Diego Health. So kind of studying that intersection of patient safety and cybersecurity, if you will, is, uh, is one of the things I'm really excited about and passionate about. And Jeff, how about you? My name is Jeff Tully. I largely do most of what Christian does, and it's widely acknowledged I'm better looking than he is. I do want to make sure that we didn't get a schedule mix up. The term illustrious has never really been used with Christian. So are you sure that we're on the right day here? No, just joking aside, Christian is my best friend. He's brilliant. He is a security researcher and physician who I look up to be and want to be when I grow up. So I'm working on stealing his identity gradually. I am an anesthesiologist and pediatrician by training. I'm currently at UC Davis Medical Center as an assistant professor. I'm actually leaving in just a little bit to go down to UCSD to join Christian and really accelerate our research effort. So, so happy to be here. We love you, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, guys, I love having you here. And, and, and for the listeners who are, who can't see what I see, Jeff's actually doing this, this interview in scrubs in what looks like a locker room inside the hospital. So, actually like in the hospital as we're having the conversation. So guys, place to start. I was saying this to Jeff before we started. I'm so excited about this year's CyberMed Summit. We didn't really get to do it last year. We were all in San Diego in 2019, but I'm so psyched. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what you're planning. You know, let's just let's just talk about it. I can't wait to hear all the cool things. Yeah. So the CyberMed Summit is something that Christian and I put together in 2017 with Josh Corman and Bo Woods, who are really close friends of ours. I hate to use the term thought leader, but I think it was invented for those two guys in the cybersecurity space. Josh and Bo at the time were part of the Atlantic Council um, and doing some really cool stuff on the policy side. So we met a few years prior to that at DEF CON. We loved to hang out and just kind of um, brainstorm ways where we could sort of take our growing interest in healthcare cybersecurity, combine it with some of their more policy and outreach-oriented efforts, and really create a conference that kind of married what we loved about the hacker culture and space of something like a DEF CON and bring it to kind of our specialization of clinical cybersecurity. So there's there's a lot in healthcare cybersecurity that I'm sure you're all familiar with focused on infrastructure and organization on operations. Christian and I are really interested in how how do some of the cybersecurity issues that we talk about directly affect the way that we deliver care to patients at the bedside. So in talking with Josh and Bo, we're like, man, wouldn't it be great if we had an event that was kind of focused on this 
very specialized aspect and bring together all of our friends in the space, all of the amazing role models we have, like Suzanne Schwartz at the FDA, who's who has been an incredible mentor to us in this, all of us kind of coming together to see how do we really work to, in a very compressed space, accelerate some of these issues. So the very first event happened in 2017, back when we were still in Arizona at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Phoenix. That was like two weeks after WannaCry. So it could not have been more timely and more relevant. And that event was where we first kind of pioneered and debuted our simulations. So clinical simulations. So as medical students and later as physicians, we train oftentimes by using the modality of simulation. We kind of stole it from aviation to basically say, how can you practice really high stakes, rare events over and over again to make sure that when they happen in the real world, you are capable of dealing with them. So Christian actually had the amazing idea. Let's take some of the security research done by our friends and hackers like Jay Radcliffe and Billy Rios, who have worked on medical devices and said, hey, we found some of these vulnerabilities or exploits that could compromise the function of these. Take our clinical knowledge, translate that into scenarios where patients in our pretend emergency room were undergoing treatment with a device that may have not been working properly as a result of a compromised vulnerability. And then how would that play out in real time? How would a doctor pulled into that handle that? So that was the first time we ever did those was in 2017 at the University of Arizona College of Medicine. We came back the next year in 2018. We went to UCSD when Christian moved in 2019. I want to make sure all these dates are correct. It seems like it's been forever since the first one. So forgive me if in retrospect, I have misspoken. But long story short, we've done it three times. Each year has been bigger and better than the last. So Christian, do you want to give a little preview about what we're doing this year? You know, we're going to have pyrotechnics. We're going to have, um, no, just kidding. We are really excited. Of course, you know, asterisk, 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 COVID pending, and who knows what's going to happen. But we're lucky to, uh, I think, report right now that we're going to have an event uh, in November 6th and 7th at the University of California, San Diego Medical School. You know, they've been a great host for us in our last event. Uh, and do much more of what we are are kind of famous for in this space, which are those clinical simulations, which is how do cybersecurity vulnerabilities of medical devices and infrastructure, uh, how do those impact patient care? We're going to be doing lots of that. I think we're going to be doing some innovative new things too. I'm just going to preview it. We're going to have some kind of, we're going to have a cool badge, hopefully. We're going to have some more workshops, not necessarily more workshops, but more of the workshops that were exciting. You know, how do you hack medical devices? And then we're going to also be expanding out our umbrella. You know, one of the things that's really cool about our conference, I think, is it's not just technical folks. It's not just clinical folks. It's kind of like everybody. The regulators come. And what we can do in that is continue to expand out our tent and say, who is another stakeholder that needs to come to this? Because their voice is important. And we've identified things like biomed. Biomedical engineering is a huge part of this that have been absent from so much of the both technical and non-technical conferences. So they need to be there. And, you know, in the shadow of COVID, you know, still there, I'm not saying it's gone, but, you know, what we've seen post the worst parts of COVID is this need to incorporate emergency managers, right? So this is huge. This is a section of healthcare delivery whose sole job is to make sure that you can take care of patients during a disaster, right? Well, cyber attacks, as evident by these ransomware attacks that have been hitting, you know, Conti, Ryuk, all this stuff that's been going on clearly has disastrous consequences for a hospital. What does that mean? It means these are like natural disasters, right? They can have the same types of impact. Who in your hospital is tasked with 
keeping the clinical care going and make sure things are working. It's emergency managers, right? It's emergency management. They have that expertise. Well, they've been missing from the cybersecurity conversation for years. And so now I think at our conference, we're going to be expanding out to emergency managers. Hey, come into the fold. How can we help elevate each other's preparation for the inevitable cyber disaster that's going to hit more and more hospitals? You know, I think this is clear. Maybe this will be a point of conversation we can come back to later on. Ransomware is not going away. Hospitals are paying ransoms. The ransoms are causing greater impact to hospitals or downtimes longer. So we can't solve this from a purely technical side. We can't solve this from a purely policy and, and side. What we need is a huge amount of stakeholders to come together and work together to really make a meaningful impact. We hope our conference is the place for that. And we're also proud to say that our conference has never cost any money. So people can come to our conference for free. We don't tell anyone they can't come. Everyone's voice is appreciated there, even if you know nothing about healthcare or nothing about cyber. It's truly one of these open forums. And I'm excited to say, I think we're going to continue that tradition this year. And just excited to be able to say thank you, Mike, for letting us talk a little bit about it before we get to some brass tacks and other stuff. So. Oh, no, guys, I, I actually, it's something I really, I've been waiting to actually have a forum to talk about one thing specifically that I think is so powerful from the simulations that you all did. So the simulation that you all did in 2019, I happened to be in the room for, and the most interesting part was that you were using real medical students and docs and putting them in the situation where it was almost a chaos monkey sort of situation, if that reference makes any sense, Right. They go to treat this fake patient or actually real person pretending to be a patient on the table and suddenly equipment stops working and, you know, you're yanking things out from them and and you just watch these people try and work in such an impoverished environment and it's a real impoverished environment. Like as we talk about this, there's a hospital system that I know about because it was in Becker's the other day that their EHR is ransomware and they're doing all of their admissions and everything on paper. And you guys are really doctors. Like, tell this audience, most of whom are more IT cybersecurity people, like, what is that like as a doc to just have all these processes start to disappear in front of your eyes? How do you survive that if you haven't practiced it? It's a fantastic question. And I think it really gets to the heart of how dependent we are on technology to do our daily job with respect to patient care and how implicitly we trust that that technology will always be there. So right now, my primary clinical operations are in the operating room. So taking care of patients under anesthesia, I'm monitoring their vital signs. I'm monitoring a lot of medications. I'm monitoring ventilator settings and things like that. All of this data gets pulled out and dumped into the anesthetic record. So I don't have to worry about charting everything and I can focus on taking care of the patient. When we do have our intermittent downtimes and our ability to have all of that data pulled is lost, I literally have to go into a drawer on the anesthesia machine, pull out a paper record, and then dedicate you know, 50% of my attention to making sure I'm manually charting all the vital signs, right? Like that's just not, that's, that's not how you would want somebody caring for your family member if they were in a highly complex and technical surgery, right? So just by the very nature of needing to shift from one way of working to another, I think has actual implications to patient care. And you're absolutely right. We don't practice that. So we don't train for it in the same way that we train for a massive hemorrhage in the operating room or a cardiac arrest in the operating room. And that's kind of the point behind the clinical simulations is that we want to give people a recipe for doing that type of training because it is something that I feel is almost as important as knowing how to treat an allergic reaction or give a blood transfusion. 
Mike, I don't know what it's like to do that because I'm 34 <laughs> years old and I trained in medical school and residency and fellowship after the era of paper records. And that's going to con- that's only going to accelerate, right? So it's funny we talk about how great technology is, and it is. It saves lives every day. It's amazing the technology we can employ to to treat cancer patients and to do these things. Jeff hit the nail on the head. We are so dependent on that. We're of you know we've heard cliche after cliche that digital generation or millennials we can't get off our phones. Well, it's even worse in medicine because every tool we use is digital. To answer your question, what is it like when we don't have those things? I can't tell you, Mike. I've never done it. But I can tell you, it's not going to be good. If I had to be in the emergency department and all of a sudden we didn't have an electronic health record or a PAC system to look at images and that persisted for a prolonged amount of time, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. My job in the emergency department is to make sure people don't die. I don't always come to a diagnosis, but I'm supposed to make sure that I do everything I can to, to treat emergent life-threatening conditions right then and there. To do that job, I need technology to give me quick answers. If I don't have that, I don't get quick answers. I might not get an answer at all. So if I don't know what your medical record is, I can't tell, oh, they have an history of a, a brain tumor that's probably bleeding. Oh, that's why they're confused and can't tell me what's going on. If I don't have that record, I don't know why you're confused. If I don't have an electronic health record to help me order medications the right way, I might give you an overdose or an underdose of medication. You know, that's that's a scary thought. Our electronic health records have tools in them to reduce mistakes by doctors. We become dependent on those. When we don't have those tools, we're more prone to make mistakes. Guess what? I look at not just records, results, right? So you come in with chest pain. I need to figure out if you're having a heart attack or not. Part of me figuring that out is getting laboratory studies in a timely way, right? Well, if the systems are down, I can tell you what normally might take an hour to get labs back might take six or nine hours. And if I don't have that answer about whether or not you're having a heart attack, you know, it's not entirely dependent on lab, for example, but there's a big component of it. I might not know you're having a heart attack for 10 hours. Guess what? Your heart's, portions of your heart are dying every minute. I don't figure that out. And so at the heart of it, imagine trying to do your job without any of the tools that you normally use and being quickly shunted into a workflow you've never done before and expected to take care of people in time-sensitive, life-threatening medical conditions. That is the proposition. On top of that, that might be two weeks. It might be four weeks. We're seeing ransomware attacks now that are taking hospitals down, not for days, but for weeks it almost feels like they're getting longer because of the focused, targeted attacks of healthcare and how impactful their particular ransomware is to the entire enterprise. That is something that's terrifying. And honestly, one that I don't hope I'm never in. I hope I can't ever go back to you, Mike, and say, wow, I know exactly what it's like now because this happened to me. I can talk to people where it's happened to them, and we all know it's not good. Yeah, the unfortunate part is, I mean, I heard a statistic the other day that blew my mind that 25% of the nation's hospitals have been hit with ransomware in the last three years. And the idea that that's like one in four, right? You know, in any city you're in, there's at least four hospitals pretty much. You can pretty much guarantee that someone has been shut down in the last four years. And and those professionals have had to live through that. One of the things that that I remember from that particular, and Christian, you reminded me of this as you were talking about the labs piece. The thing that I thought was so powerful about that demonstration is often those demonstrations, you know, we've seen over the years, Barnaby Jack hack an ATM on stage, and they end up sort of theatrical 
but more for the cybersecurity folks in the audience. And I thought it was so interesting that you guys actually stopped the simulation at one point to explain to everyone that the decision that the doctor was trying to make, it was, and you guys will remember this better than I do, but it was something about a blood clot. And, and it was, if they give this one drug and the blood clot is this way, it will save their lives. But if they give this same drug and the blood clot is a different type, this drug will kill them instantly. And the only thing that will make this decision is the CT scan that just went down. And I was just sitting in the audience being like, how do you make that call if you're the doctor in that situation without the, and as Christian, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about like, how do you put yourself in that situation where the information you have to determine to save the person's life is now gone? Like what that must feel like. We talk a lot about physician burnout, right? I can't imagine the level of physician burnout that must come from from all of this kind of, you know, uncertainty when you get into cyber events. I know that wasn't really a question. I was just throwing out sort of how I was thinking about it cuz cuz it's such an interesting topic to me, right? I'm I'm not a doctor, I'm a cyber guy. And so it's it's fascinating to to hear how you guys think. So what other things are you guys up to, especially around, you know, we know the CyberMed Summit's coming up, but every time I talk to you both, there's like five other things going on at the same time. You're involved in all kinds of other things. What's the news in Jeff and Christian's life lately? Well, you know, we, we really haven't talked about the elephant in the room, which is that we're just, you know, we're coming off of a period in our clinical career so that I don't think we ever anticipated we'd experience um, as we were becoming doctors with, with respect to taking care of patients during the pandemic. Um, Christian and I were both uh, privileged to be able to sort of help out more on the front lines in the ICU and in the emergency department. And so I think that obviously provides an opportunity to reflect. I um, mean, it, it just kind of serves to further reinforce how important it is when, when, when we're in such a position and the system in general is stressed, you really, really have to have technology that you can depend upon and and rely on. So kind of unpacking that a little bit from a research standpoint, I'll let Christian in just a moment talk about some of the interesting stuff that we have on the docket with respect to sort of understanding that we're all connected in various ways in an ecosystem and, and that some of these things don't happen in a vacuum and that there are um, spillover effects. Um, he can he can dig into that a little bit more. From a sort of advocacy and outreach standpoint, we really want to do what we do with the simulations on a much larger scale. So we want to be able to give training and education to clinicians across the entire allied health spectrum. So that means not just doctors, but nurses and pharmacists and physical therapists and everybody who 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 touches patients, um, we feel it's important that they have a little bit of, um, of education regarding some of these aspects. We're not, we're not hoping to turn everybody into a cybersecurity professional, but we want to develop curriculums and modules that can sort of illustrate a little bit of what we do more viscerally with the simulations. I'm sure there's stuff I'm forgetting because we are chronically overbooked. But Christian, do you want to mention a little bit about some of our research directions? Yeah. So another elephant in the room besides COVID is that we in the San Diego area uh, just had a pretty big event. You know, Scripps got hit. And I don't work at Scripps, but I work at an adjacent hospital system. And what an awful thing, you know, a pretty intense attack. And the recovery of which was over a month before they were able to restore systems. That's a big thing, right? It's one thing when that happens across the country, right? Like when UHS got hacked, there was a one hospital around our system where, you know, around me physically that I heard some things about, which were, you know, disconcerting. It's another thing when it happens on a Saturday night and I'm working a Monday shift in the emergency department. Why? Why does that matter? We didn't get hit. You know, our institution didn't get hit. Why would it matter? Because that was one of the busiest days I've ever worked in my entire life. 
And it was so impactful to me to say, you know, they're getting hacked and we're getting the patients that they would normally take care of in our emergency department. And what does that mean? It meant that our wait times shot up, right? When you might wait in the emergency department for a couple hours, maybe less if you're really sick. You know, wait times went through the roof because we were inundated with patients. One of the biggest things we saw is I nearly, and we're going to publish this data. It'll be out in the public domain later on this year. But one of the things that was very impactful was we got so many ambulances. I, I wanted to almost take a picture of it, but it would have been, a you know, a, don't want to take pictures of patients. But there were literally a dozen ambulances waiting to put patients into beds because all the ambulances that would normally go to those hospitals had to come to us. And we saw more heart attacks and we saw more strokes. And we saw that this ecosystem effect that Jeff is mentioning, it mattered to me because I was working that Monday shift. What it really told me is that even if you yourself are maybe a little bit ahead of the curve as a healthcare delivery organization cyber-wise, right? Like you're, you have good multi-factor authentication and you've done some hardening of your systems. Like if you've invested a lot in cybersecurity and you feel like your posture is better than most hospitals, it still might not matter because you're going to get this spillover effect. You're going to have this ecosystems. And that's truly one of the things that we need to talk about how that changes the conversation. It's almost like we can't just have really secure hospitals and hospitals that are really poorly secured and that's acceptable. We need to raise the resiliency across the board because we all interact in an ecosystem. And what we know, and there's plenty of literature to support this, is that when patients get diverted to other hospitals because you know they can't go to hospital A, or when wait times go through the roof, or when there's too many, there's not enough beds in the hospital and people end up being in the emergency department for days, we know that leads to inferior care for patients. And that matters for patients and their care. What am I trying to get at here? We need to be start treating cyber disasters, not like I do this and you do that. It doesn't matter what you do. We need to all raise our cyber resiliency. It matters. And then two, what do we do to prepare for these things? We need to talk about them like disasters. We have plans regionally if an earthquake hits, right? We're going to talk about what to do if an earthquake hits us. This hospital is going to do this. If we have to put tents out in this, we have plans for that. We don't have good crosstalk or regional plans for cyber disasters. This, we hope, in publishing this data, is going to push more people to recognize that we're all in the same kind of cyber boat here. We need to prepare for this. It, it was going to require an investment across the board. And I hope that gets bore out with things that are recently developed, like Biden's executive order on cybersecurity and securing infrastructure, including healthcare. You know, there's this bipartisan infrastructure deal that just got, uh, you know, reportedly there's some movement with that includes $47 billion for securing critical infrastructure cybersecurity. You know, these are the types of things that I'm hoping are going to move the needle to making us more cyber resilient across healthcare, but not just at the hospitals that have money. We really need to do it with everybody. Yeah, and you really identified like the the cyber pl- programs in in the healthcare industry have really been a a big haves and have nots kind of thing, right? You get the the big privately funded systems that have a really effective program, and then you go to a safety net hospital in in some you know regional area that's that's barely hanging on and has almost no profit margin to speak of, and every one of their patients is Medicare, and you ask them what their cybersecurity budget is, and they laugh at you. Right. But it's those hospitals getting hit that's going to divert their patients off to that big, rich system. And then you've got a problem in both places. You know, for all the time I spent thinking about and talking about this, I actually hadn't thought about the regional disaster impact. That's a really important point. 
I can't wait for you guys to publish the data on that because I think it's really, it's something that we, you can't solve at an individual system or individual hospital level. That's really fascinating, guys. I don't want to take up a million hours of time and we're, we're sort of up on it. Where can the world find more of you guys? I mean, obviously, everyone listening should come to the CyberMed Summit when they have it in November. I, I'm going to be there. Probably uh, half the Scope team's going to be there just because we're all excited about it and everybody's kind of psyched to, to be, well, and let's be honest, San Diego in November is not a terrible choice. So looking forward to hanging out with you guys and, uh, and, and seeing everybody. But what, where else can they find you if they want more Christian and Jeff? Christian has an OnlyFans page. It's uh, very tasteful. Uh, I, I don't yet, but if- I'm going to pay for this. The, the return <laughs> on investment of my trolling is going to not work out favorably for me. No, it's going to um, make a good podcast episode, though. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, Christian. I, I, just, I love it. Very low hanging fruit. So we probably tweet more than we should, or I'm I'm at least on Twitter more than I should be uh, at Jeff Tully MD. I would not encourage people to reach out to me via my uc davis email because that will be wiped from memory eternal sunshine style in a couple of days when i leave but uh, once i get established down south at ucsd um, we're always happy to have conversations and see uh, about possible avenues for collaboration Um, and again cybermedsummit.org we are working right now on a brand new website refresh so excuse the uh the geocities design right now but that'll be all updated with new information about registration and how to how to come and hang out with us so uh, christian i'll give you one free shot at me go ahead take your best oh i wouldn't do such a low blow jeff i'm not gonna sink to just kidding another thing i want to do is hey listen defcon this year whether you're going in person or you're going to be online we will support you of course either way is another venue for uh, to communicate we've been going to defcon for years I, I think my first one was 13 i drug jeff in, i think at like 19 or 20 it's like the it fills our cup every year to go and hang out with our hacker families this year is going to be uh, no exception and we've been lucky enough uh, knock on wood we'll see what happens this year to have a pretty regular healthcare cybersecurity presence at defcon then some of that's with the biohacking village but it's also with another event that we run at least we have done the last four years which is this do no harm event so it's usually an evening friday or saturday it's usually adjacent so you know the eff panel is usually one night and do no harms on the other night and what is it it's a it's exactly what we say it's a forum for hackers to come together and talk about healthcare cybersecurity. that's at defcon we're always there we lead a panel of amazing people and if this year we get accepted we'll be ex- happy to announce our panel this year is of no exception of course, uh, really cool people that are in the space taking care of patients, but also regulating medical devices from FDA leadership. And then also, you know, a lot of other people, voices that haven't been elevated in the space before. So we're always excited every year to bring new people on the panel and elevate their voices and their perspectives on healthcare cybersecurity. Another place to hang out with us, of course, at DEF CON. And then if the numbers continue to get better and, and COVID's permits, you know, you can always meet us at our conferences. We always have, besides CEFCON, we have other conferences we go to and other forums. We're always looking for people to collaborate, especially if you advocate for patients and their safety. And we're excited for just the future, which is hopefully much more secure than the past in our healthcare, much more resilient, because that's what matters at the end of the day. You know, we could talk about this and admire the problem until we're blue in the face. But if we don't fix it, not fix it entirely, but if we don't fix some of it or make it better, then it doesn't matter because our mothers and our brothers and our sisters and our children, they're going to go to hospitals and get the same potentially compromised care that they would if we don't. And that's an important point 
is that this is for patients. And whether or not you're on the front line, you know, taking care of patients by touching them, or whether or not you're securing the critical systems that support that, know that at the end of the day, it's for patients. It's a big honor, but also a big responsibility and one that we're thankful to be a part of and hope anyone who wants to be a part of that mission joins us. Guys, you know that the the team at Scopes behind your mission, we we appreciate that very much and, and love it. And actually, Christian, you just reminded me of something that I told Jeff, but but haven't told you yet. And I'll use this as an opportunity to say this for the first time publicly, that Scopes actually participating in the Biohacking Village Device Lab this year, that Scopes platform will be ingesting all of the logs from all of those medical devices and then telling the medical device manufacturers how they can improve their own logging. So when a hospital uses that device, it will be easier to detect exploitation and compromise on on the future generation of medical devices. So big fans of the Biohacking Village, big fans of you guys. I think you both know that. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Can't wait to see you all at DEF CON. Can't wait to see you guys in November and look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.